Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Tony Rikers. Our topic tonight is a very interesting topic. It's entitled The Rapture and the Second Coming. You may remember last night, for those who have seen that lecture, that we studied about what the Christian world calls the signs of the times. We discovered that Jesus Christ was upon the Mount of Olives. While he was there, his disciples came unto him privately, the Bible says, and they asked him that famous question, what will be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And as Jesus proceeded to give them signs, he didn't tell them the day or the hour, he proceeded to give them signs of what the world would be like just prior to his second coming. And last night we discovered there's many different signs. And we saw as we looked at the world and world events and what's happening in our world, we discovered that all of those different signs were being fulfilled. There was the war sign, the famine sign, the pestilence sign, and the signs would go on, the natural disasters sign that was taking place. And we discovered last night that our world is really in a sad and sorry mess. But in the midst of all this sadness, in the midst of all this so-called chaos and doom and gloom, Jesus gives us hope. Because the Bible records in John chapter 14, verse 1 to 3, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Here we find in the midst of all these signs, in the midst of the troubles of the world, God is giving us confidence and hope. The wonderful promise of Jesus Christ, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place, I will come again. You know, friends, this has been the hope of the Christian church. From the days when Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, ever since that day, the hope of the Christian church has been that Jesus Christ will come back to this world again. And as we saw last night, those different signs, 18 signs we looked at, the war sign, the famine sign, the earthquake sign, the pestilence sign, and the list went right down to the Noah's Day sign, we discovered that we are living in those days when Jesus Christ will come again. But there was one more sign that I didn't share with you last night. One more sign that Jesus gives us and warns us about what will be taking place just prior to his second coming. And that particular sign I've entitled is the false Christ sign. Notice the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 again, verse 24. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Here we find Jesus tells us that before his second coming, there will arise false Christs, false prophets, doing signs and wonders, if possible, to deceive the very elect. Now this is a very serious sign. The Bible's telling us here, Jesus himself is telling us here, that he's coming back again. But it's also warning about a sabotage plan that the devil is going to put into effect to try and deceive the followers of Christ 
with false Christs and false prophets. People coming along claiming to be Jesus Christ, claiming to work for Jesus Christ, doing miracles, doing signs, doing wonders. And people will follow after them. People will come and say, I've seen Jesus. Jesus has come back to this world again. You know, you may be thinking to yourself, well, I don't see anybody doing that. You know, there's been a few people come onto the world scene and they've claimed to be Jesus Christ, come back again. You know, I came across a lady one day and I was talking to that lady and I was sharing with her the concept that the Bible brings out that Jesus will come back to the world again the second time. And she said, I believe you're exactly right. In fact, I know you're right because Jesus has already come back. I've seen him and I've spoken to him. He lives up the, up the street, around the corner, second house on the left. And when she told me that, I was taken back a little bit and I started to think exactly what you're thinking. You're starting to think, well, this particular lady... Somewhere, somehow, she's lost a few chromosomes or something. Something's missing because how can you say Jesus is up the road, around the corner, second house on the left, and I've been speaking to him. But the question I would ask you tonight is, how do you know that she's wrong? How do you know the difference between the true Jesus and the false Jesus? What have I said tonight? If I said to you tonight, I am Jesus, I've come back. Now, I'm just saying this as a footnote. I'm not saying I'm Jesus. I'm not Jesus at all. But I'm just saying, what if I came here tonight and I said, I'm Jesus and I've come back to the earth and then I did a couple of miracles. You would be intending to believe that I was Jesus Christ. But how do you know? How do you know the true and the false? How would you know I wasn't Jesus Christ? How can you tell the difference between the true Christ and the false Christ? Well, the answer to that question, friends, is a very, very simple answer. We simply need to understand what the Bible says in relation to the second coming of Christ and how he will come back to this earth. When we understand how he will come back to this earth, we can very easily distinguish between the false Christ and the true Christ. Now, the Bible brings out five particular points telling us how Jesus will come back to this earth. And those five points are very, very clear. The first point in relation to how Christ will come back to this earth is the point where it will be a literal event. Point number one, it will be a literal event. When Christ comes back to this earth, it's not going to be spiritual or figurative. He will literally come back to this earth. <clears throat> Let me explain why I say that. We find in the book of Acts, Acts chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 9 to 11, we find something very interesting take place. Here we find Jesus Christ. He's, he's come to the world. He has died. He's been resurrected from the dead. He spent quite a few days with his disciples, teaching and preaching and explaining to them their mission. And the Bible tells us here in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, and while he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So here we find Jesus speaking to his disciples, teaching them, talking to them about the great mission of taking the gospel to the world. And as he's talking to them, the Bible tells us he was taken up from the earth and a cloud received him out of their sight. So Jesus is there. The disciples watch him going, ascending up into the heaven until the clouds receive him out of their sight. It goes on. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, 
Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which was taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Here we find an interesting story. Jesus Christ, he's talking to his disciples. He is raised up off the earth. He ascends into the heavens. A cloud, the Bible says, received him out of their sight. Now you can imagine being the disciples as you're watching this, you would be just gazing up into the heavens to grab your last glimpse of Jesus as he ascends. And as they are gazing up into heaven, the Bible tells us that two men in white apparel, which were angels, say to the disciples, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Notice the words, this same Jesus that ye saw ascending into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him ascend into heaven. So in other words, they literally saw Jesus ascend into heaven, didn't they? The angels told them that they saw, them, saw him literally go into heaven. Now they're saying you will literally see him come back. That tells me that the return of Jesus Christ will be a literal event. Notice the wording in those verses of Scripture. Beheld, sight, looked, behold, gazing, seen. It was a literal event that they saw take place. And we are told that Jesus Christ will come back the same way as he went to heaven. So we know very clearly that when Jesus returns, he's coming back literally. He's not going to come back figuratively, not spiritually, but literally will Jesus come back to this earth. Very, very clear. Now, of course, our second point in how Christ will return. First, it will be a literal event. Secondly, it will be a visible event. You notice the disciples, as they were watching Jesus, they visibly saw him ascend into where? Into the clouds, wasn't it? They literally and visibly saw him ascend into the clouds. When Jesus comes back, we will visibly see Jesus come back. And you'll notice a point there. This is an interesting point. Notice this point. In Acts chapter 1 there, it told us a cloud, as Christ went up, a cloud received him out of their sight. Now notice this verse here in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7, talking about the second coming of Christ. It says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, there's those clouds again, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. So here we find, talking about the second coming of Christ now, the Bible's telling us that he's going to come back, what? With clouds, a cloud received him out of their sight, now he's coming back with clouds, and every eye will see him. Of course, the question is, how many eyes is every eye? Every eye, friend, is simply every eye will see Jesus Christ return. And he's also coming back with the clouds. Notice how it's told in Matthew 24, verse 30. Jesus himself said these words. He said, And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall what? See the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So here we find the exact same scenario. Exactly as Jesus went up into the heavens is exactly how he will come back. Every eye will see him. It'll be with the clouds. And you'll notice there the sad story is the Bible tells us that the tribes of the earth are mourning. Why are the tribes of the earth mourning when Jesus comes back? Simply, friends, they're mourning simply because they are not ready for the second coming of Christ. 
They have put off that day of preparation and they are unprepared when Jesus comes back. But you and I, friends, have the opportunity now to prepare, to study his word, to find salvation in our lives and find Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior in our hearts. And that brings us to our third point. So we have a a literal event, a visible event, but we're also told it will be a glorious event, a glorious event. Notice Titus chapter 2, verse 13. It says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's going to be a glorious appearing. Now, we can all conjure up in our minds what we think this might be like, this glorious appearing. But what does it really mean to be a glorious appearing? How will this event be glorious? This is the question we have to ask ourselves. Notice also what the Bible says here in Matthew 25, verse 31. It says, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him. So once again, another verse of scripture referring to the second coming of Christ being glorious. The Bible says that Jesus himself is going to come in his glory. Now, we don't know really what the glory of Jesus Christ will be like. We can only speculate of what that glory will be like. But it also tells us here that all the holy angels are going to come with him. Now, this starts to give us a little glimpse of the glory of the second coming of Christ. When all the holy angels come with Jesus Christ, that is going to be a sight you won't miss. Because we are told that we have guardian angels. Now, that might, to my little mind, that means there must be at least, at least six billion angels. If everybody on this earth has a guardian angel, there has to be at least six billion. That's a lot of angels, isn't it? The book of Daniel chapter 7, it talks about the angels. It says there are 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus comes, all the holy angels will be with him. This, my friend, will be a glorious event. How much glory does one angel have? If I was to ask you, what is the, what is the glory of one angel? If you saw an angel, what would it be like? What sort of glory would that portray to you and I? Well, we find out what an angel is like from the story of the death of Christ. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ died. He was taken from the cross. He was placed in the tomb. And the Jews were concerned that someone would come and steal his body. The disciples, they thought they'll, they'll steal his body and say he was risen from the dead. So they asked Pilate, they said, can we have a station of soldiers placed at the tomb's entrance so no one can steal the body? And that's what took place. But we find our story here is picked up in Matthew chapter 28. That early on Sunday morning, there's the guards at the tomb of Christ. And it's now time for Jesus Christ to be resurrected from the dead. The Bible says that an angel appears. Now notice what this angel is like. Matthew 28 verse 3. It says his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. Friends, this is one angel. This one angel appears to roll the, 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 the tombstone of Christ away. And it says his countenance was like lightning and the raiment was white as snow. And it goes on and says, And for fear of him, the angel, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Here we find these hardened Roman soldiers guarding the tomb of Christ. One angel comes. Tells us his countenance was like lightning. His, his clothing, as it were, was white as snow. And when these Roman soldiers saw this one angel, the glory of one angel, friends, they did shake and they became like dead men. 
Now, you put that back into the context of Jesus coming with his glory and all the holy angels coming with him. This, my friends, is going to be a glorious event. This will not be an event that you will miss. When Jesus comes, the Bible says, every eye will see him. And friends, when Jesus comes, every eye will see him and it will be a glorious event. Now, why are the angels coming with Christ? Why would the Bible say all the holy angels are coming with Christ? I believe this is my own speculation. But from my reading of the Bible, we find that the angels are tirelessly working for our salvation. They are working day in, day out to protect us, to guide us, to to encourage us in the right paths of life. And when Jesus comes to take his people to be with him, I can imagine the angels begging the Lord, saying, please can we come and welcome these people into the kingdom of heaven. Friends, right now, angels are working on our behalf. Right now, there are angels in this room as I'm speaking, impressing the hearts of those who are listening, trying to get them to take on the word of God and salvation into their life. And they want to come and meet you on that great day when Jesus Christ comes back to this world. Now, if anybody knows how Jesus is going to come, you'd think it would be Jesus himself, wouldn't you? Notice how Jesus said he would come back to the world. In Matthew 24, verse 27, Jesus said, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus said it's like lightning. You know, friends, we've all seen that lightning before. Those lightning storms come through and it shines from the east and goes right through to the west. What Jesus Christ is saying is you won't miss the second coming of Christ. It will be seen by every eye. The glory of his second coming will be like lightning, lighting up the sky from east to west. That's how Christ will come back to this earth. And you and I have all seen that lightning before. And sometimes it can be frightening, can't it? The power of that lightning coming across the east to the west. But that's how Jesus Christ will come. With his glory, with the glory of the Father, with the glory of the angels. It will be so bright and so glorious. In fact, it will be so bright and so glorious that we are told that the brightness of the second coming of Christ actually destroys the wicked. Notice this verse here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8. Talking about the wicked, it says, The wicked whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. The second coming of Christ will be so glorious and be so bright that the wicked who try to hide themselves will literally be destroyed by the brightness of the second coming of Christ. And friends, I'm glad that you and I today had that opportunity to commit our lives to him, to learn about salvation, to find a shelter in Christ so that when that day comes, we will not find ourselves destroyed, but we'll find ourselves having a place in God's eternal kingdom. So, so far we've learned that Christ's coming will be a literal event. It will be a visible event. It will be a glorious event. And we also find in point number four, it will be an audible event. It's going to be something you can see, and also here at the same time. You know, Psalms 53 verse, 50 verse 3, sorry. The Bible says, Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. When Jesus comes back to this earth, it's not going to be quiet and secret. He won't come back secretly and silently. He shall not keep silence. How will it not be silent? What, 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 what's going to take place here that will make it an audible event? Well, Jesus himself tells us in Matthew 24, verse 31, 
and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect. You see, friends, one of the reasons why the angels are going to come back with Jesus Christ to this earth is to gather the people of God, the elect, the Bible calls them. But you'll notice here in Matthew 24, verse 31, that when Jesus comes back, there's heard the great sound of a trumpet, and then the angels gather together the elect. So what's going to take place here? What is this great sound of a trumpet? We find another verse of Scripture here that talks about the trumpet and the gathering of the elect of God. It's found in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and 17. Notice these words of Scripture. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, or the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So here we find Jesus Christ, once again, the Lord himself is going to come back to this earth with a shout. There's this sound, isn't there? With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And when this takes place, the Bible says, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. You see, friends, many of God's people today, they are dead. They're in the grave. They're waiting for Christ to come back to take them to be with him. It goes on now and says in verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. This is the beautiful picture of the second coming of Christ, coming to set up his kingdom, coming to gather his elect, his people, from the four corners of the earth. Many of those people have died, and when that trumpet goes forward, friends, it calls the sleeping saints back to life, back to eternal life. The dead in Christ shall rise first, the Bible says. Here the Bible's telling us that when Jesus comes back to this earth, when he comes back to this earth, the dead in Christ are going to be raised out of their graves, and those who are alive will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, the topic tonight is called the rapture and the second coming. Now, this is where we find the rapture taking place. You see, the word rapture just means to be caught up with power. When Jesus comes, the Bible tells us there very, very clearly that the saints, the people of God, are caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall they ever be with the Lord. Now, this is one way you and I can tell who the false Christ and who the true Christ is. When Jesus comes, does he come down to meet us or do we rise up to meet him? The Bible is very clear that when Jesus comes, we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Jesus is not coming onto this earth, friends. We are caught up to meet him in the air. If someone comes to you and says, hey, listen, I'm Jesus and he's on the earth, you know, friends, that that is not Jesus Christ. We will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. This is the rapture. We're raptured up, as it were, to meet the Lord in the air at the second coming of Christ. Friends, can you imagine that day? When the dead that are in the graves hear that trumpet, hear that call, hear that voice, and the graves open, and those who have been faithfully serving God, waiting for his second coming, are raised out of those graves and caught up to meet Christ in the air. What a joyous day that will be. You know, the, the saddest thing that takes place in everybody's life on this earth is this death. Every one of us, whether it be ourselves, our family, father, mother, our children, our brothers or sisters, we all face death somewhere. 
But the Christian faith, my friends, gives us hope. It gives us a purpose to live because we know that if we die, we shall live again. Jesus in John 11 verse 25 said these famous words. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Friends, there are thousands across this earth right now tonight weeping and wailing because they've lost someone that they love that's been snatched away by the grave. But the Christian faith gives us hope that in Jesus Christ, though we are dead, yet shall we live. When? When Christ comes on the resurrection morning, when the dead in Christ are raised out of their graves, when we're caught up, when we're raptured up to meet the Lord in the air, and we shall ever be with the Lord. Friends, being a Christian gives us a hope and a purpose for living. It gives us a hope and a purpose when death comes to a loved one that we can have the confidence that one day we shall see that loved one live again. Whether we live or die, friends, we have no need to fear death. If we are a Christian, if we've committed our life to Jesus Christ, we will be raised on that resurrection morning. So, so far we've learned some interesting points here. The first point, it's a literal event. It's going to be point two, a visible event. Point three, it's a glorious event. Point four, it's going to be a audible event but we also find it will be a climatic event what's going to take place to the earth when jesus comes notice what takes place here notice these verses these verses are in context of the second coming of christ revelation 16 verse 18 and there were voices and thunders and lightnings and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth so mighty an earthquake and so great. Verse 20 and 21, it goes on. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. Here we find when Jesus comes, there'll be the great earthquake. Like there's never been an earthquake like this before. This is off the, off the Richter scale, friends. It's so big that mountains begin to sink. Islands disappear. We're told there'll be a great hail, every hail being the size or the weight of a talent. That means that those hails, the hail will be the size of around about footballs or soccer balls. They're going to come across this earth. This earth and the cities thereof will be broken and destroyed by the glory and the power and the majesty of the second coming of Christ. Notice Jeremiah 4 verse 26, what it has to say. Jeremiah said, Behold, I beheld... And lo, the fruitful place was a wilderness. And all the cities thereof were broken down at the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. When Jesus Christ comes back to this earth, friends, he's coming back to take his people to be with him. But he's also going to come back as an avenger to those who have rejected him and smited his people. We find that there are two classes. When Jesus Christ comes back to this earth, there will be about two classes Lost and saved, it's as simple as that. And we have the opportunity today to be part of those who will be saved. And notice what the saved will be saying when Jesus comes back. The Bible gives us the information of what they will say, I believe, in Isaiah 25, verse 9, when Jesus Christ comes back and every eye shall see him and the righteous look up. Isaiah 25, verse 9 says, And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him. And he will save us. This is the Lord. 
We have waited for him and we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Friends, don't you want to be there on that great day when Jesus comes to look up and say, Lo, this is our God. We've waited for him and he will save us. Is it your desire, friend, to be amongst those who are preparing to be ready when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth? Friends, Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth. We've seen the signs of the times fulfilling around us. Christ will come back. No day, no hour. No one knows the day or the hour. But we do know he's coming back. And the signs are fulfilling around us. And friends, it won't be a secret event. You won't miss this event. Let's just recap the points that we've learnt so far in our lecture. Events at Christ's coming. First of all, it will be a literal event. Secondly, every eye will see Jesus. Third, all the angels will be with him. Fourth, there will be the sound of a trumpet. Fifth, the righteous dead will be raised to life. Sixth, the saved are caught up to meet Christ in the air. Seven, the wicked are destroyed. Eight, the earth's surface is destroyed. And nine, the saved praise God for their salvation. This is what we've learned so far. When Christ returns, friends, he's not coming back secretly, as some would say. There are some in the Christian world today that believe when Christ comes back, he's not going to come back visibly, as we've just found the Bible telling us. He's going to come back secretly. In fact, there's some churches that are teaching right now that Jesus Christ has already come back. Notice what Matthew 24, verse 24 and 26 tells us. This is talking about the false Christ sign. Notice these words again. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now, we looked at this part of the verse at the beginning of our lecture. These false Christs are going to come and deceive the elect people of God. But notice what they say. Behold, I have told you before, this is Jesus speaking, wherefore, if they shall say unto you, behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. Jesus himself said, if people come to you and say that the second coming of Christ will be secret, if he has secretly appeared or he's going to come secretly, he said, don't believe them. He said, believe it not. In fact, he's telling us who are the ones that are saying that Christ will come secretly. Who are the ones that Jesus just described? He just described the false Christ and the false prophets that will be saying that Jesus Christ will come secretly or will have come secretly. And there is a church, which I'm not going to mention by name today on this earth, that is teaching us, trying to teach us, that Jesus Christ has already come back, back in 1914. By the words of Christ himself, Christ has just denounced them as false Christ and false prophets. Because he said if they say he's in the secret chamber or he's coming secretly, believe them not. They're false Christ. They're false prophets. It's the false Christ and the false prophets that are going to teach you, my friends, that Christ will come back to this earth secretly. We have seen he's going to come literally, visibly, audibly, etc. Not secretly. But you may be thinking to yourself, well, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, Tony. What about when the Bible says that when Jesus comes, he's going to come as a thief in the night? Isn't that secretly? Have you heard that before, friends? 
When Jesus comes back, he's going to come as a thief in the night. Therefore, it's a secret event. What does it mean to come as a thief in the night? Let's have a look at the verse of Scripture here that people will use. This verse of Scripture is found in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. It starts off by saying, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And there it is. There's a, there's a thief in the night. Therefore, Jesus must be coming secretly when he comes back. But the verse goes on and says this, In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. So when Christ comes as a thief in the night, the heavens are going to pass away with a great noise, the elements are going to melt with fervent heat, and the works of the earth are going to be burnt up. Now, friends, if that's invisible, if that's secret and invisible, we've missed something, haven't we? We've really missed something. If the, if, the, uh, if the earth is going to pass away with the noise, the elements melting with fervent heat, and, friends, if you can't work out that that's taking place, I mean, you've really missed something, haven't you? You see, friends, when Jesus says, I'm coming back as a thief in the night, it doesn't mean he's coming back invisibly or secretly. It means he's coming back unexpectedly. You see, a thief doesn't come invisibly. He comes unexpectedly. That's what it means to come as a thief in the night. Not invisibly. He comes back unexpectedly. Last night with our signs of the times, there was one sign, the last one, the Noah's Day sign. And the Bible said, and they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. You see, friends, the flood came as a thief. It wasn't invisible. It came unexpectedly. People weren't prepared for the event you know if you're a thief how do you go if you were a thief i hope you know i hope you're not a thief but if you were a thief do you come unexpectedly of course you do you don't go to somebody's house and knock on the door and you say oh hello mr jones listen i'm going to come to your house uh, friday afternoon about two o'clock i'm going to knock off your television set would you mind being out of the house so when i get here i'll have no troubles that isn't how a thief works, friends. A thief comes when you're not prepared for him to come. He comes unexpectedly, not, not invisibly, but unexpectedly. You know, in 2003, we had the Canberra firestorms, January 2003. Now, Canberra's only a couple of hours away from where I live. And this firestorm came upon parts of Canberra totally unexpectedly. It was totally, it just came out of nowhere. People were just caught by surprise. It was around about 500 homes that were destroyed. It was 100 kilometer hour winds. There was people that were, were burnt to death. But this firestorm came just like a thief in the night. It reminds me of the second coming of Christ. Jesus is saying, I'm coming unexpectedly, just like this fire came. And there was total devastation from this fire. Houses were burnt. People lost their lives. Cars. It was just total destruction. And when Jesus says he's coming as a thief in the night, he means he's coming like that, not invisibly, but unexpectedly. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 44, he said, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. That's how a thief comes. He comes when you're not ready for him. That's how Christ will come back to this earth. He's not going to come back invisibly, or secretly, but he will come back unexpectedly to those who are not prepared for his soon return. That's why the Bible says when all the tribes of the earth see Christ come, they mourn. Why? Because he comes back unexpectedly. They're unprepared 
for him to come and take them back to heaven because they're unprepared in their lives. But you may be asking yourself, well, what about the secret rapture? Okay, Jesus coming as a thief in the night means, yes, he's going to come unexpectedly. But what about the secret rapture? Many Christians today are teaching about the secret rapture, that when Christ comes, he just raptures his people away secretly and they disappear so they don't go through the last plagues and the seven-year tribulation. What about the secret rapture? Well, the reality is, friends, the secret rapture, and I'll say this real clear, there is no such thing as a secret rapture. Jesus said, anybody saying it's secret is a false Christ. He is a false prophet. There is not a place in the entire Bible that tells us that the second coming of Christ will be secret and that we'll be raptured away secretly. But many, many Christians believe this. They believe that in the future, people will be driving their car along and all of a sudden, poof, the driver disappears because he's a Christian. Airline pilots driving their planes, poof, he disappears. He's a Christian. The plane crashes. People going off to school, kids walking off to school, poof, half of the kids have just disappeared. This is what many Christians have come to believe will take place. But friends, there is no place in the Bible that teaches this. In fact, one airline, one United States airline company took this so seriously that they made sure that every Christian pilot had a non-Christian pilot with them just in case the rapture took place and the Christian pilot was poof, gone, the non-Christian pilot could then land the plane safely. But if we have to ask ourselves, well, where does the secret rapture come from? We're going to find that the foundation for most of the teachings of those who believe in the secret rapture comes from novels. Now, friends, as Christians, we need to anchor ourselves to the word of God. We must find our truth and our doctrines and our teachings right here in the Bible. But what concerns me as a Christian is too many Christians go to Christian novels like the one on the screen, the Left Behind series by Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins, and they tell you it's a novel, but what people do is they start to think that it's actually going to happen and it's real because they put different Bible verses in different places and it makes it sound like it's real and people come to believe that the Bible teaches about a secret rapture when it doesn't, friends. It doesn't teach about a secret rapture. Well, you may be asking yourself this question. Well, what about Luke chapter 17, verse 34 to 37? This is one of the main verses that people go to to try and teach about a secret rapture. What about these verses? What about the expression, one left and the other taken? One left or one taken and the other left. Let's have a quick look at these verses and see what Jesus himself is actually saying here in these verses of Scripture. We find here in Luke chapter 17, looking at these particular verses of Scripture, that Jesus Christ is... And when you study the Bible, friends, always read the verses before and after. Don't just take one or two verses and try and conclude what it's talking about. Read the verses before. If you read the verses before in Luke chapter 17, we find that Jesus Christ is talking about the signs of the times. He's talking about the Noah's Day sign and the Sodom sign. Notice Luke 17, verse 26. Jesus said, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. So what Jesus is saying here, as it was in Noah's day, so it will be 
when I come back to this earth. We studied that last night. Verse 30, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. It also puts in, the, in there on those verses, it will be like it was in Sodom's day. So as it was in, in uh, Noah's day and Sodom's day, so it will be when I come back to the earth a second time. Then he says these words. These are the words that people use and are confused about. Then he says this. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. Here we find people come along and say, there it is. There's a secret rapture. There's two working in the field. Poof, one's taken and the other is left. But friends, Jesus spoke these words in context of what it was like in Noah's day and what it was like in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, the question is, what was it like in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah? And what was it like in Noah's day? You see, in Noah's day, friends, when the flood came, it divided the world into two groups. There was two groups. There was some taken under the ark of safety, and there was some left, and they were left dead. There was two groups. Jesus is simply saying to you and I, when I come back, it'll be like Noah's day. There will be two groups. Some will be taken wrapped it up and caught up to meet the Lord in the air to safety, and the others will be left. And as it was in Noah's day, they will be left dead. And verse 36 and verse 37 make it very plain what Jesus was saying. Notice these, wor uh, these words here. Luke 17, 36 and 37. It says there, Two men shall be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. That's where we left off before. Now notice this. Notice what the disciples do here. Jesus says, one left, one taken, one left, one taken, one left, one taken. Now notice the, word, the verse on the screen. And they answered and said unto him, where, Lord? The disciples are listening to Christ and they recognize, yes, one's taken up to meet the Lord in the air and one's left. And they ask the question, where, Lord? In other words, where are they left? We know we're going to get taken up to meet you in the clouds of glory, but where are the rest left? And it goes on and Jesus says these words. I say, where, Lord? And he said unto them, wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. Exactly, friends, as it was back in the days of Noah. Some taken to safety upon the ark. The others were left. They were left behind. But how were they left behind? The disciples asked Christ, where will they be left? And in cryptic language, he tells us they will be left dead. Where the body is, the eagles will be gathered together. In other words, they'll be left behind dead. Notice how he describes these same events in Matthew 24, verse 28. Jesus says the same event, just a bit differently. He says, for wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. So in other words, Jesus is simply saying to his disciples' question of where will they be left? He says they will be left dead. Friends, there's nothing secret here. When Jesus Christ comes back to this earth, we've already discovered that the saints are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. They are raptured up, not secretly. And the rest of the world are destroyed by the brightness of his coming and they will be like Noah's time. They will be left dead upon the earth. There's no such thing as a secret rapture. These verses are just simply saying when Jesus comes, there is two groups. One is left and one is raptured. One is saved 
and one is lost. Yeah, Jeremiah, talking about the same event, says this. Jeremiah 25, verse 33. And the slain of the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the earth even unto the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented, neither gathered nor buried. They shall be dung upon the ground. Why shall they be dung upon the ground? Why is nobody going to bury and lament these people? Because the righteous are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. The wicked are destroyed by the brightness of the coming of Christ. And friends, there's no one left. There's no one to weep and to bury and to mourn. Friends, there's no secret rapture here. There is no such thing in the Bible as a secret rapture. It's the false Christ and the false prophets that are trying to tell you that the second coming of Christ will be secret. It is not heard of in the, in the word of God. The second coming of Christ will be visible, literal, and audible, and glorious. And friend, you will not miss that wonderful event of Christ coming in the clouds of heaven. And this brings us to our last point. You know, Christ's coming will be a joyous event. You know, Jesus said those famous words in John 14, verse 2 and 3. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Friends, is it your desire tonight to be prepared for the second coming of Christ? He's told us he's gone to prepare a place for us. He's promised I will come again and receive you to myself, rapture you up to meet me in the air, and you will ever be with me in the kingdom of heaven. That's the promise of God to each one of us tonight. And the question I ask you tonight, is it your desire, is it your will to be prepared for the second coming of Christ? The great hope of the Christian church is that Jesus Christ will come back. Yes, friends, God, our creator, will come back to this earth one day very soon. He will descend from outer space in a spectacular appearance. That's the great hope that shines through the New Testament scriptures. That's the hope that can lift us above the dreary days and out of the darkest nights of our life. And we can have the opportunity, we can be prepared for that great event. Maybe you're sorrowing in your life. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe a mother, maybe a father, maybe a brother or sister, maybe your own child. Perhaps you've had to say painful goodbyes to people as they've gone into that grave. But friends, the Bible tells us, Jesus himself said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. They will be raptured up on that last day and caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And friend, don't you want to be there on that day? Whatever your troubles and hardships and sorrows are in your life now, the second coming of Christ is brighter and more glorious than all those woes and troubles. Jesus Christ is coming to this earth to put an end to sin, suffering and death and pain. And friends, he wants us to be ready when he comes. But friends, when Jesus comes, as we have discovered tonight, there will be but two classes of people. We are going to find when Jesus Christ comes, there will be those who will look up and they'll say, Lo, this is our God, we have waited for him. He will save us. But the Bible sadly tells about another class of people who are calling to the rocks and the mountains to hide them from the face of the Son of God. And the most serious question I could ever ask you, I will ask you tonight, is where will you be in relation to those two groups? 
Will you be part of those who are waiting for Christ to come? Or will you be part of those who are calling to the rocks and the mountains to hide them from the face of the Son of God? That's a question you and I must decide for ourselves. And I want to encourage you to take your Bible, to study the Bible, find out about the plan of salvation, find out what Jesus Christ is doing for you and what he wants to do for you in your life. You know, our next meeting, in our last three lectures, we've covered in a broader spectrum the final events of Bible prophecy. In our next meeting, now we want to start to dig deeper into some of the more specific things that will take place just before Jesus Christ comes back to this earth. And our next lecture is called The Great Controversy. The Great Controversy. How did this world become so sinful? Who started the rebellion against God? And what's it all over? What is the main issue in this world? Why is the world in the state that it's in? How did we get there in the first place? This message was made available by Cornerstone Ministries. For more resources like this, visit cornerstone-ministries.org. You've been listening to Go Teach All Nations here on 3ABN Australia Radio. I'm Casey Butler and I want to talk to you today about weeds, walls and want. What was that you said? Weeds, walls and want. It's something that King Solomon observed and talked about. Now, who was King Solomon? Well, he was the son of King David in the Bible and he was given special wisdom by God. So much of it that throughout history he is known as the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon's life is characterized by, in his early days, being someone who was very faithful and true to God. But he eventually turned right away from God in his life, and then only towards the end of his life did he come back to God. He learned a lot throughout his life he wrote a number of books and he wrote also an extensive number of proverbs apparently he spoke 3,000 of them and many of them are recorded in the bible in the book of proverbs it's interesting what a proverb actually is and the oxford dictionary defines it as a short well-known pithy saying that expresses a general truth or piece of advice And we are going to actually look at one of Solomon's Proverbs a little bit later. Solomon was very observant. You can tell from what he writes about that he observed many things in nature, you know, animals, um, agriculture, insects, the weather. He also observed things like tools and work He observed the human body, he observed human behavior and relationships and wrote about and learned many lessons and important things about um, what he saw. 
And this brings us to when one day Solomon observed weeds, walls and want. And it stood out to him so much that he recorded what he saw and then wrote what he learned from it. And we find this in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 30 to 34. And it says this, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of a man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Well, that's what he saw and that's what he learned from it. How did Solomon determine that this man was slothful? He says he went by the field of the slothful. Well, it seems plain that he he worked that out based on what he saw the condition of the man's living quarters were. You know, it's place all covered with weeds and the wall was in disrepair and just based on that the fact that it was so unkempt he was able to determine that this man who lived at this place was slothful and what else does he say he says void of understanding that means without understanding this man had you know just didn't quite understand what was really important in life so what did he think about all of this that he saw well he wrote a lesson carefully and what did he say a little sleep a little slumber a little folding of the hands to sleep so i guess in today's terms we could think of this as oh, a little bit of laziness here a little bit of Uh, procrastination or um, just carelessness here and there yeah doesn't matter too much that's what would be the attitude that he is trying to um, convey and he's saying that eventually this kind of attitude will eventually catch up on a person he says so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth now if people if someone's traveling and they just happen to turn up at your place you would say that that came fairly unexpectedly wouldn't you so it seems like he's saying that when we when we have these habits of i don't know a bit of carelessness here a bit of carelessness there laziness here and there eventually trouble's going to end up catching up on us and it's going to come rather suddenly in a way that we don't expect and then he says also that thy want or thy thy poverty would come as an armed man now an armed man is someone who has a weapon and so and obviously then has the potential to do harm so we would think then that the poverty that comes or the trouble that comes to someone like this will actually harm them and you can you can imagine that if this man's house was all covered with weeds and if it's all covered with weeds probably food crops wouldn't have been growing so well so he may this this slothful man may well have gone hungry and that would have done him harm 
So that's how, well, that's just a, an ob obvious example of how it could do this man harm. So what can we learn from this about today? How, how can we apply this lesson in today's living culture? Well, let's think about our homes, our rooms, where we live. Do you think if Solomon came by your place today, would it look like the lazy man's field? Bits and pieces, unkempt everywhere and looking like it hadn't been touched for an awfully long time? Or is your place in order and organized and the impression that people see when they look on it is, oh, that place is well, well kept and up to date. What about your work habits? Do you, you know, miss bits here and there and maybe leave some jobs unfinished here and there and it just all seems to go like that in terms of your work ethic? What about wasting a bit of time here and there? Just being a bit careless in terms of how we spend our time. These kind of habits, according to Solomon, they can get us into trouble when we least expect because they all just add up on each other. You know, it's interesting that Solomon's little proverb here, his lesson that he learned from this experience about um, the lazy man, it's actually repeated in the book of Proverbs in another chapter. It's actually repeated in chapter 6. And it's in the context he's talking about the ant, where it says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. So here Solomon has observed the ant and he sees how in Industrious and persevering the ant is. He doesn't waste any time. He just sets his mind on the task that it has to do and just keeps working hard till it's accomplished. And then there's no poverty for the ant because he has meat for himself in the summer and food in the harvest. And Solomon gives that as an example of what we can do instead of the lazy man and what he did. So I encourage you to think about your life Think about your habits and think about whether they're more similar to the lazy man with his weeds, walls and want, or whether they're more like the ant with its diligent industriousness. And wherever you find yourself to be, go for the ant. God bless. Thanks for listening. It's been our pleasure bringing you this program today here on 3ABN Australia Radio.